Hello, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of the Playsheet Podcast. We've gone... It's not just another episode, it's the festive episode, Charles. It's a festive episode, and we're taking it international, because I am in the Isle of Man as we speak. International waters. <laughs> and you are keeping it... You're keeping it London represent, so... Uh, we're I'm holding the fort down. We're staying grounded still. We, we've not forgotten our roots. But, Joe, uh, another crazy week in the NFL. Um, I feel like we've said that a lot... But before we jump into it, I think probably the thing that we need to discuss a little bit, and I can't believe we're still doing this towards the end of our second season, but we probably need to have a a quick discussion around COVID and not just the outbreaks that a lot of the teams are suffering from at the moment, but the new rule that the NFL has implemented with regards to how they test players. Yeah, so this isn't something that seems to be unique to the NFL right now. If you look across what's happening in the Premier League, in other sporting worlds, we're seeing a lot of games being cancelled, postponed, because of what seems to be the surge from the Omicron variant. It definitely does feel like this has been the most disruptive week in terms of COVID cases for the National Football League probably since the outbreaks happened. But they're making it work still. You mentioned there that they've changed the rules. Now, the rules actually changed in the UK in general today. We're recording on the Wednesday before Christmas. The new rules are that if you are asymptomatic and you have two negative lateral flow tests, you only need to isolate for seven days. So the amount of isolation time is coming down, but the NFL seems to have gone really a step further here. And correct me if I'm wrong here, Charles, but are they basically saying that if you're asymptomatic and you have a negative test, then you don't have to isolate despite exposure? Is that the rule? Can you just elaborate? No, I think what they're saying is if you're asymptomatic and you've been double jabbed, they're not even going to test you. Wow. Well, let's think about this. It doesn't really make sense whatsoever because from what the science has said, I was going to say we all know, but not everyone believes the same things. But from what the latest advice says that you can be a carrier even if you don't hold symptoms, that's a generally accepted thing, Charles, I'd I'd probably say. So they're basically saying that you can have the virus but go and play as long as you're not sniffling and sneezing, which doesn't feel very sensible. If I was an offensive lineman and a DT was coming in and I knew that he had COVID, even if he wasn't coughing or splattering, he's breathing all over my face when we're going into the trenches. I think this is probably going to be counterproductive. Wouldn't you have thought so? A hundred percent. I mean, I understand what's happening here. They're trying to keep as many of the games going ahead as possible. They're trying to limit these postponements, which really mess with the schedule. And uh, there's a question around uh, fairness and things like this. But I think this approach is going to do more harm than good because it's going to help spread it quicker. And then those players that do become symptomatic from it it's going to lead to greater cases of that i'd have thought and therefore more postponements that's right because there's no telling who's going to be symptomatic and asymptomatic you could be double jabbed and have the full gambit of symptoms you can have no vaccinations and not show any symptoms whatsoever people seem to respond in different ways to it so all this is going to do is just put those people who are going to displace symptoms more at risk of transmitting the disease i would have thought which As you mentioned, it's going to increase the risk of players not being around. Now, the league seems to not be really following the train that it did, where it said earlier in the season that they were going to punish teams where the reason for COVID outbreaks was unvaccinated players. Now, reading between the lines here, I think they've come to the conclusion that there's so many players who are unvaccinated that that would probably have to still apply for every single team. Would you agree there? Yeah, it seems to be the way. I think there's very few teams that are 100% vaccinated. 
basically like Tampa Bay, really, isn't it? Because no one wants to be the guy who gets Brady snibbles. <laughs> That's it, isn't it? Yeah. So very strange. But look, Omicron variant seems to be showing no signs of slowing down. It's still causing a mass infection. Thankfully, at the minute, it seems to be far fewer serious cases of illness and hospitalizations, but clearly very disruptive to the sporting calendar. We'll keep an eye on things, but I mean, the league really needs to have procedures and protocols in place as we get down to the business end of the season, because, you know, it's one thing missing or postponing a regular season game when you've got quarterbacks who are going to be out for playoffs. That's a different kettle of fish. So, I mean, you mentioned Brady getting the sniffles there, Joe. I mean, is there an explanation for the way the Saints held Brady to zero this week? Wow. Look, we always say on the show, and we're right, you can't judge things by one game. And sometimes abominations happen. I mean, it happened to Green Bay first game of the season. Absolutely. Abomination. And this was clearly an abomination for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers on Sunday evening, Monday evening. It's hard to keep track of days when it's around Christmas and all the moments. But look, there are a few mitigating circumstances if they don't fully explain things. Obviously, Mike Evans was lost halfway through the game. Chris Godwin was lost halfway through the game. He'll be out for the season. Fournette dealing with an injury now, and he'll be out probably for the rest of the season. David as well on defense. He's taken an injury. I mean, this was an attritional game, an attritional week for the Bucks. Lost a lot of key plays. Extremely disruptive. Brady didn't play well. Let's not beat around the bush here. I mean, despite the absences and players who are out, Brady still had a poor game. But look, you can't read too much into it. Saints beat the Buccaneers in the regular season last year. And I mean, look how that turned out for them in the end. But it's certainly something to keep an eye on. If we see a performance like this again two weeks running, or we see trends emerging that repeat through the rest of the regular season, then perhaps there'll be an issue. But the injuries are the problem here. I think they can get over one bad game. I mean, I think one person who's potentially trying to make more of this single game instance than anybody else is the defensive coordinator for the Saints who has already said he'd be quite keen to get back into a head coaching role again. I think he's using this as his his kind of jumping off point. Well, the Saints have been a very good D this year. I mean, if we were just relying on their offence, they wouldn't have the record that they currently have. They wouldn't be in that playoff hunt. Uh, The defence has been strong. Cam Jordan the other night was immense against Tristan Wirfs. I mean, Tristan Wirfs has given up something like, something ridiculous, like a single pressure in like his last eight games, something mad like that. And he just looked fragile in the face of Cam Jordan. So the Saints defense was honed in, another strong game from them. And they are the foundation of, you know, the success the team has had to date this season. Yeah. So let's slide on over then to talk about Green Bay and Baltimore. It was the second week running that the Ravens went for the two-point win. And it's the second week running that they didn't convert it. We spoke about it last week when we were saying, you know, is it a call you make? We we said we, we quite like to see it. And it's always easy to look back in hindsight and criticise I think this time round, it didn't feel like such a smart move, did it? So this is something that we bring up time and time again on the show, and that's the fallacy of statistics and how statistics are being used in the wrong way in the NFL. The analysts of stats said to go for it, but that's not science. It's purely based on previous stats, and the stats cannot be fully applied to the game situation they're in. For all the stats that have happened previously they didn't apply to this Baltimore versus Green Bay offense and defense. It's not like those two O's and D's have played each other a hundred times and they're taking a percentage from that and saying, so this is the chance that it's going to work. It's a guide rail, but it's being used more as just a decision-making tool rather than a guide rail. To add to that, it wasn't even applied in the right manner. Now, 
all the analysts and stats guys, what they say is, if you're two scores behind, 14 points behind, you go for the two-point conversion after you score the first touchdown, and then you make it either a six-point game if you convert or an eight-point game if you don't. If you don't convert, then you go for the two-point conversion the second time and you're still in the game. If you do convert, then you only have to go for the extra point if you get the touchdown to win the game. But the Ravens didn't do that. They went for the extra point after the first touchdown and then went for the two-pointer after the second touchdown, which takes away any advantage of going for the two-point conversion. I think they applied their play calling wrong here. If they were going to go for two points, they should have done it after the first touchdown. They have now had two games where they've basically got two L's for two-point conversions on the last play of a game. And, you know, we talk about it every week, how close the AFC North is. Had they converted both those games, they'd be looking for at least a home game in the wildcard game. So, you know, this is clear proof that just going with what the stats guys say, going with what the analysts say, isn't always the way forward. Or if you are going with what they say, get it right and do actually the process you should be doing. I mean, I think that's a really good breakdown of the kind of logic that goes behind when to make those two-point plays. Part of me wondered, and I think if this was the kind of process that they went down again, I think it's potentially the incorrect one. But on their very first drive, they went for fourth down. They tried to convert it. And that to me kind of screamed that they felt that they weren't going to win the game with... Huntley as quarterback unless they took a few of these gambles and again I wonder if they thought if this goes to overtime we'd back Rodgers over Huntley but the thing was Huntley was playing well he did really really well as a third backup quarterback he certainly wasn't playing bad but as well as showing a lack of faith in your offense you're also implying a lack of faith in your defense yeah Absolutely. And it just it felt like this was a nervous Baltimore team. Obviously, we've discussed time and time again on the podcast the injuries that they're dealing with this season. So you can understand their nervousness. But I just wonder if that had too much of an impact on the decisions they made and, and led them to the wrong one this time around. Even still, though, are you even really playing to your strengths then? Because surely one of the strengths of this Baltimore team is you have one of the most automatic kickers in the league. When it comes to kicks that is one thing you are extremely strong in and you're guaranteed in. You've got Justin Tucker. So if you're looking at percentages, you're basically comparing anything else you do to an almost 100% chance of Justin Tucker making a kick, which applies to overtime as well. Because ultimately, if you can just stop Green Bay once, you only have to get Justin Tucker kicking it and he can do that from, you know, up to 66 yards away. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's a really good point. Look, we applauded them for going for it last week, but it definitely feels like this week it was a bad decision for them and may have cost them a playoff spot. Absolutely. So let's move on, Charles. It's a festive show. Everyone's really busy. Everyone's got a lot to do. We're not going to make this a long episode by any means whatsoever. Shall we jump straight into previews and talk about Colts versus Cardinals this week? Yeah, I mean, the Colts had another big game against New England who were on the ascendancy. They completely showed them up this week. Bill Belichick was furious after the game. He was getting really shirty with the interviews and he even had to come out. There's nothing new there. Yeah, well, exactly. There's nothing new there. What is new is that he apologised for it the next day, which surprised me. It's not uh, normally a Belichick move. That's how frosty he was. But yeah, this Colts team is really starting to find its rhythm. They're one of the form teams. Yeah, and they're they're dangerous. They're dangerous. On their day they're looking like they can be anyone. So Colts versus Cardinals is going to be fascinating because 
the Cardinals really had an awful game against the Lions. And we saw the Cardinals lose the week before against the Rams because Kyler Murray looked a little bit off. But this week, I mean, the Cardinals... When you get embarrassed by Detroit, you can't put it all on your quarterback. No way. Uh, what was the score? Was like 35-9? It wasn't just Kyler Murray. Again, Kyler Murray didn't have a good game at all by any means whatsoever. But in all phases of this game, Detroit played better. So that's what I'd say is extremely concerning for this team because, you know, when it's just your quarterback having a bad day, well, it's just your quarterback having a bad day. He'll get better next week. The team's still fundamentally sound. We move on. When your team as a whole team plays as badly as the Cards did Sunday night against Detroit, then it's a more deeper-rooted problem. And if I was coming off a loss like that, I certainly wouldn't be coming up against this Colts team. Now, just want to touch on something else, Charles, just very, very quickly. A lot of chat in the Talking Heads and people that think they know all on Facebook that JT, Jonathan Taylor, should be MVP this season. What's your view on that? I like Taylor. Every time I'm watching a Colts game, he's punching through teams' defences. But, I mean, maybe it's just absolutely fresh in my mind from last night, but I still find Cooper Cup someone that's very hard to look past for that role, really. I'd probably agree with you in a certain sense. I think that Cup has been the standout non-QB player for me this year. But all this chat, it's kind of almost moot. The MVP conversation every year, really, it's probably going to be a quarterback. Oh, yeah. It's probably going to be quarterback. And there's been seasons past where there have been non-quarterback players who should have won the award that didn't win it. And no one really made such a fuss about it then. It was people still accepted that the quarterback was going to win the award. This season, I feel that because people are so tired of Tom Brady and Aaron Rodgers, there's a much stronger call for players like Jonathan Taylor, for players like Cooper Cup to take the MVP award. I'm not sure if the voting will reflect that, but it does definitely seem to be fatigue with these two guys who've been around the league for so long. And that's not to say they deserve it any less than what they normally deserve it at all. But it's just weird there's that kind of focus on those other players this year. Yeah, and I think as well, we've talked about how this season feels like in terms of parity between the teams. It seems to be the closest that it's been for a long, long time. I mean, I was watching uh, Red Zone at the weekend and I can't remember the exact figure, but there were still 20 odd teams that were still mathematically in for a chance of making playoffs at this stage in the season. That's almost unheard of. And I think, yeah, and I think when you think about that, that really highlights that none of these teams and none of these quarterbacks have been firing an electric consistently and so I think that makes it a little bit harder to just gift it to a quarterback like normally happens and I think you have to start looking outside of that position then to kind of say well actually have there been other positions that have maybe contributed more than the quarterback position in this particular season that is quite anomalous in some ways. Yeah that's a fair point Charles but Look, the last non-QB to get the MVP award was Adrian Peterson in his season for the ages, 2,097 yards, back in 2012. I mean, he nearly broke the all-time rushing record in that year. But aside from that, he's been the only non-QB of the last 15 years. Yeah, so it feels like unless you pull out a Herculean performance as a non-QB position, you're going to be hard-pushed to, to win that award. It's almost unheard of for other positions to win it at all. Like, I mean, I think there's... In the history of the award, there's only been two defensive players who've won it. Alan Page was the first back in the late 60s, early 70s, I think. And then LT Lawrence Taylor got it in 86. 
Outside of that, you've, you've had one kicker. I mean, it's basically all QBs and RBs. I'm not sure on this. I'd probably have to check my stats, but would Cooper Cup be the first wide receiver to ever win it? If he did win it, I think he would. Yeah, I think maybe he would. I, I, I don't think a wide receiver has ever won it. And when you think of the seasons, it seems like this MVP chat, I keep on bringing up Vikings players, I've brought up Peterson, and I'm going to bring up like Randy Moss. When you look at the seasons that players like Randy Moss have had, the seasons people like Jerry Rice have had, and these guys have never won MVP. It just shows how skewed it is towards the quarterback. Yeah, massively. So just before we leave this game then and go on to another preview, Cardinals are going to have a tough time against this Colts team, we're assuming. Where do they go from here? I mean, DeAndre Hopkins is a big loss to them. We know that. We understand that. Kyler Murray isn't firing on all cylinders at the moment, so the offense is suffering. But it's not just the offense that the Cardinals are being let down by. How do they adjust in time for this Colts team, or can they? I think they need to re-establish a running game, get Chase Edmonds, get James Conner out a bit more. Uh, against Detroit, the defense was just on the field far too much. And when you establish a run game as well, it's obvious it's cliches, but it gives Kyler Murray more time and more opportunities on the ball. So fundamentals really, re-establish the run, control the clock. These are things they have to do against the Colts because if they don't do it, the Colts will do it against them. And JT and the way that this Colts team play will just take the game away from them. Bad time to be playing a Colts team that are so ascendant after a couple of losses like the Cardinals have. Yeah, definitely. Definitely agree with that. And another team that are going to have to pull up their bootstraps then are a team we've just discussed, which is the Baltimore Ravens, as they go to play the Cincinnati Bengals. Now, the Bengals are probably going to be without Mixon, but the Ravens are certainly without a few of their major players. Again, is it a hurdle too much? What do you think the Ravens need to do here to stand a chance of winning this game? It's interesting that you say that because I feel that Mixon has been an absolute cornerstone of this Bengals success this year. I think it's no coincidence that Mixon's probably having one of, if not the strongest seasons of his career and the Bengals are, you know, ascendant from where they have been in previous seasons. That side though, the Ravens still have far more injuries. I mean, will Jackson be back? There's a chance that Jackson comes back. Whether that changes enough though, because I don't think the offence are really the true problem here. It's defence where the Ravens are really stung. Look, we are at that point where it's must win for both games. It's a divisional game, AFC North. We seem to talk about the AFC North every week. But, you know, divisional games count as double at this point of the season. And uh, you're starting to feel that the Ravens are really in true, true desperation mode if they lose this. Yeah, and I think, as you mentioned, with the defensive injuries that they do have, we spoke about this on the previous episode, they're missing a lot of corners. So actually, if you did want one of the Bengals players to go down, you'd probably rather hoping it was someone like Jamar Chase in a situation like that than a runner like Mixon. Yeah, there's a lot of different skill sets that the Bengals wide receiver room has. You've got, you know, size players like Boyd. You've got players like Higgins who are a bit of a Swiss Army knife. You've got Chase who can just, you know, take the top of things. But again, Chase can line up in most places and go in a slot if need be. They're going to really, really pose a problem. And if the Ravens don't get to Joe Burrow, if they don't take him off his rhythm and if they don't, you know, stop the amount of time he has for a throw, this could get messy. So, Joe, some of the teams that we were speaking very highly of maybe four weeks ago are now teams that find themselves in very precarious positions. So 
think fortunes have changed quite quickly over the last four weeks or so. So we're probably looking at different teams than we may be expected to at this stage. But And it will probably change again. It will probably change again. Yeah. That's just been... Yeah, because there's still enough yeah. game weeks to be played before the postseason, isn't there? There certainly are. So to all of our listeners, we wish you a very Merry Christmas and some fantastic NFL games. And we'll see you guys next week. Speak to you then.